Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Happy Monday, everybody, and I guess a happy President's Day. Did you get a good deal on a mattress somewhere? Uh, I know that uh, today a lot of folks are talking about uh, the office of the president, uh, not just in regards to the day, but historians have come out with their list, and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I just want to settle in for a moment and uh, say hello to everybody. And I want to say yesterday I had a chance to go to Gracie O'Malley's, where our uh, hosts of the Palatini every uh, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, Dan Schaefer and Megan Kelly, were hosting a drag brunch, also with their friend Meg. Uh, Meg and Meg will be filling in for me this Friday, by the way. Just a little programming note. But it was so much fun. Uh, You know what I realized as I was there? Uh, I actually have never been to a drag brunch. So that was, it was fantastic. It was so much fun. And uh, there was uh, one performer, uh, Sangria Wine, was uh, telling me that her family had driven from uh, from about two hours away and are very supportive of her performances. And uh, they're very uh, invested in enjoying uh, the the shows. And uh, Sangria Wine, I believe, is Latina. And uh, so it was just great. First of all, her makeup was fabulous. The dancing by all the performers and all of it was uh, really wonderful. There were there were families there. There were uh, groups celebrating, including celebrating for Dan Shaver's Jan, Dan Shaver's birthday. So again, happy birthday to Dan Shaver and uh, congratulations on a wonderful event. And I, uh, after that, I uh, had the uh, thrill of going to see my very good friend Lewis Black performed at the Genesee Theater last night in Waukegan. It is as uh, he is. Um, retiring from touring. He's not going to be touring on a schedule as arduous as he's been doing for, wow, for a long time. And uh, it was really a great show. Uh, So wonderful to see him. And, uh, and connect with him again. And it's so funny because I, I've performed on that stage. I opened for, years ago. I opened for Jim Brewer, of all people, about in 2018. And Jim and I went out to eat before the show. And I remember thinking, because um, we were talking, I talked a little bit about politics. He asked me what my radio show was about. Uh, this was when I was at another station. And I told him that I did a lot of uh, conversations about politics, in particular local politics, because uh, your local electeds are more likely to have an impact on your life, but we also talked about Trump, and and this is again this is 2018, and he said, "Yeah, I don't really, I don't get, I don't, I just don't think much about politics. I don't. It's just, it's just all kind of background noise." And I and I was thinking, you know, with someone like Trump, it it isn't background noise, and I'm sure that for a lot of people, they're not invested in it. However, I was not at all surprised. If you're not familiar with Jim Brewer, he played like he did Goat Boy. That's one of his characters, and he was on Saturday Night Live. And he's in a movie about Paul. What's the name of the movie he's in with uh, where they're all stoned all the time? I can't remember which one. Half baked. Half baked. So I actually did an interview. If you uh, Google my old radio station and me and Jim Brewer, you'll find an interview where he talks about actually they had cut him um, for the day. They said he was done shooting his scenes, so he went back to his trailer and got baked. And 
And then uh, they were like, oh, you know what? We have this actor who's only here for the next number of hours. You've got to come do the scene. So he said that's the only time in the movie where he was ac- absolutely blitzed uh, and high. I know he gets uh, – he says – he kind of looks high right, throughout it, the years. People are like, are you high? It's like, no, nah, it's just the way I look. Right, yeah. And and, I, and he does. He's, he's got bloodshot eyes. He was touring with Metallica uh, at the time that I, I were opened for him at the Genesee. Did you see – do you know what happened during the – after the pandemic and, and after things went crazy? He became – one of the far right conservative performers. Yeah, I never really followed exactly what he was saying, but I kind of saw he went that Ooh. route. Yeah. He well, he he refused to perform at venues that required vaccination proof. You know, like people yeah. were checking vaccination cards. But then he went farther. He now tours like he was. I don't know if he still is, but he was doing like basically Trump-like rallies. And remember that football player that collapsed after being hit in the chest? Uh, Demar Hamlin. Yeah. Yes. So he was mocking that. He you know he was like saying like he would just like. Oh, oh, yeah, that was nothing. Basically saying it was it, not basically. He was saying it was all vaccination related that the, all these the, all these vax deaths. And yeah, so he's in that camp of crazy. Yet all those people can't point to any other cases of commotio cordis amongst people that have taken the vaccine, I've noticed. But if Jim Brewer says that that's what happened. But doesn't it feel like Rob Schneider kind of also amped it up in the, you know, after 2020 as well? Uh, well, I worked in—I I, I didn't work with him. I was in a club, I think, the, like the week before. He was anti-vax before this. Okay. So he was, you know, like the Jenny McCarthy, uh, that vein of, of some some of the celebrities in uh, L.A. That and that, remember they were calling them the limousine liberals who were against vaccinations. That's where like pockets of kids were starting to get diseases that they that we had basically eradicated. Yes. Right, because they were, you know, uh, it just. It, I was telling someone this earlier today that there's a book about essentially how Jenny McCarthy set back the medical world like ten years, and which is accurate if you think about all the resistors, all the people who were, and including RFK Jr., who on this station used to talk about the the injuries that vaccinations caused, and all, and again, like there there's still these legislators who are they even say it's correlated, right? Well, that's not causation. Cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just because it's happening at the same time or it, it, just because something looks like it doesn't mean it's the cause of it. Well, doesn't isn't like the origin story from that New England Journal yes. of Medicine. It's uh-huh. been thoroughly debunked yep. and everyone just rode with it. But it's, it's like think of all the names we've been putting out here. You know what? Dr. Jim Brewer and Dr. <laughs> yes. Rob Schneider. and yeah. Dr. Jenny McCarthy. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just it's just funny that I know we live in a culture where we kind of look to celebrities and we listen to them, Uh, but why do we take advice from them? That's what I don't understand. And Oprah, basically, hold on, the camera's a little high there. uh, My head was like up here. Uh, Oprah platformed a lot of those myths. Because yeah, Jenny McCarthy yeah. was, I remember, because De- when Declan was born, we didn't know what was wrong. It, it couldn't have been vaccinations because he was born medically fragile. He wasn't breathing. But I was scared because I saw them talking about it and I thought, well, what if his vulnerability is exacerbated by giving him a vaccination because of what they were talking about? It made me scared on top of, you know, you get into your mind and you, you know, just like folks who watch Fox, it, it sort of ingrains in their imprints on their brain and they can't let go of it. And I got yeah. scared and it took some time. And then I I was like, wait a minute, this, it, it just happened. 
You know yeah. what I mean? Like my son's, you know, his brain development hit a hiccup and it just happened. And, and I know that we want answers for things. But uh, yeah, Jenny McCarthy, Rob Schneider, there was a lineup of comics that are raising money for RFK Jr. It was a bunch of white anti-vaxxer comics like Jim Brewer and Schneider and a couple other guys. Uh, Bobby Lee, of all people. Doesn't he kind of say and do anything for attention? I though? think Isn't so. Kind of like the uh, Andy Dick light kind oh, of. Oh, God. I don't even. There shouldn't be any light of I, that. I'm just throwing like comedian That's a comic. Now you threw me in. Car of, uh, of all these weirdos. Oh, yeah. Now you're making me think about my career. I remember when I was uh, working at Zany's in Vernon Hills, uh, which is long since closed. But uh, Andy Dick would like go out into the audience and like hump audience members. It was just so. Uh, that this, seems on brand. Yeah, yeah it was. It was like, the people I've worked with have been so weird. Like Carlos Mencia would do like a two and a half hour show. No, no one's, you know, this, the, the staff just wants to go home. It's been last call for an hour and a half, dude. Oh, anyway. goodness. Oh, yeah. I don't want to use the word that I used to call. Well, it's masturbatory is what I would call it. Okay. I mean, because yeah. at oh, some point, is, yeah. yeah, it is. You, you have an obligation to do the. And I know that some people are like, oh, we're really getting our money's worth. But it, you're not really. They're just prattling on and enjoying the adulation from you. It's just weird. Do you think with Carlos Mencia, there was an element that he's still trying to patch up his career from? What, wasn't there like a Rogan, man. or a fallout after the mind of Mencia? Yeah. Well, it was Rogan that was uh, yes, calling ironically. him out on, th- uh, th- yeah, being a th- uh, a joke thief was what I mean. And that has it's funny how that happens. That pops up every once in a while in our in our industry uh, because um, you know there are ideas of parallel thought, right? Like, oh, you know, you could kind of see, but they're like Amy Schumer. They they've put videos side by side of material that she's done. Same thing with uh, Dane Cook and Louis C.K. And then yes, Carlos Mencia and and uh, yeah, they had a big blow up. And I think it had a lot to do with it. I don't know, but that can't be enough for people who aren't in the industry to care if someone's a joke thief. I mean, look at Amy Schumer and Carlos Mencia had gotten to about that point, don't you think? I think so. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm trying to recall the specifics of all yeah. these stories, but I, I was just kind of thinking, why would a guy, you know, he's oh they're getting their money's worth, and maybe, you know, he's just trying to like cultivate that base that still hung on to him. Maybe, so, yeah. I don't know. It, all I know is it was they they would just let me go home because I'm like, there's nothing. Just turn the lights off when they're done. Yeah, and for folks again, the the thing is that the servers, right? It's it's supposed to be hour and a half shows. You have a three person, at least at the traditional comedy clubs, you have a three person show. You might have a showcase, but uh, you have an opening act, a feature act, and uh, and then a headliner. And we would just we wouldn't even have a middle act. We just have someone basically come in and say so that you wouldn't be eating into the time. But at one thirty in the morning, folks, don't you think your servers and your bartender should be able to go home? Yeah, like I, I don't know why clubs let that happen. It just it made me nuts. Well, and it's, I, I could prattle on for two and a half hours. Clearly, I do it every day. There's got to <laughs> be enough like reps that you've gone through where you kind of just know that it's like okay, it's been more than an hour. You know, it's, I mean, it's, oh, we get a light, darling. We get yeah, a, that's, they, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is there like a candle or a light in the yeah. back of the room? Yeah. My favorite is in Nashville. There's a Zany's in Nashville. It's a uh, it's a traffic light. So the green light is you're in the middle of your time. You're fine. You're golden. Yellow. You're getting close to the end of your set. And then the red light, get off the stage. Well, because usually you have to reset the room for another show. And the thing, again, with the servers, once the show the show is, you know, basically supposed to end, let's say if a show started at, let's say, 10 o'clock, you want the show over by uh, 1130, midnight tops, because a lot of them have kids to go home to. They have families to go. I mean, come on. Yeah. It was just, I always thought that was rude. 
That's just me. But uh, I never opened for for Joe Rogan. Uh, there were a couple comics that would go over, but yeah, Rogan's another one. I I, I don't know the appeal of like is is he also? I don't know if he's an anti vaxxer I think he is, wasn't he? During the pandemic, I feel like he was also in the anti vax camp. I never know with Joe because it seems like he just platforms a lot of the people with this. That's stuff. true. Or like you know, like it doesn't. And I don't listen to his podcast regularly or consistently. And ever since he went Spotify, I never listened to it. But it always kind of felt like he just kind of let people say what they wanted to say. And then if he knew something about it, right. he might agree on it. Or he'll have uh, Jamie pull up uh, an article that'll just kind of uh, reaffirm him in the immediate. But I don't know if Joe Rogan on certain subjects comes from a school of thought no. or education. I think it's just like, because I've, I've noticed with him, it's usually like, oh, I had my friend uh, Dr. So-and-so over and he said to me that blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, but did you thoroughly research yeah. what that guy said? Or he was a big ivermectin guy too, wasn't he? That he was yeah. just here, therefore you believe him at face value. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it does a smack of that, but he's very successful at it. I, I should get some of those friends, uh, but then I would push back on them for lies. Anyway, let me take a break here. Phone lines are open 773-763-9278. That's the number to call and join our conversation. It is President's Day, and a lot of Republicans are very upset and angry. Kylie McEnany is like, he's not the worst president. Oh, I, I would say in my lifetime, uh, definitely Donald Trump is the worst president of my lifetime, and I do think that the harm he has done to this country uh, goes back to the, yeah, I think that, uh, and we will be dealing with it for decades to come, uh, the least of which is the direction of our Supreme Court, uh, the lives that were lost during the, not the least of which, some of the worst things is what I'm trying to say. Uh, where we are with the Supreme Court, the lives lost during COVID, uh, our our basically our ability to um, stand on the world stage and go, uh, this is what we stand for, which is democracy and pr- protecting the rights and freedoms of all. So that's uh, that's the harm that president did. So let's take a break here. What are your thoughts about the? Uh, oh, let's go to a break. I've got to talk to our friends uh, in Oak Park about. It's restaurant week. Let's take a break here. More after this on WCPT 820. We're going to talk to Annie Coakley about uh, Bite the Suburbs. More in a moment. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200, or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on this uh, beautiful Monday. And there's, you know, we've talked about how much work there is ahead of us in this election year. I also want to highlight the things that you can do to celebrate, to take care of yourself, support local businesses. And joining us on the line is Andy Coakley, who is the executive director of Visit Oak Park. And we're going to talk about Bite the Burbs. How you doing, Annie? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm very well. I love, there's so many great restaurants in the area that you are uh, working with. Oak Park, Forest Park, Riverside, and River Forest. So tell us a little bit about uh, the Bite the Burbs and how folks can enjoy great food in in that community. So starting this Friday, February 23rd, and lasting one week, ending on March 1st, um, guests can participate by going to one of about 35 restaurants that are participating in the first ever Bite the Burps event. Um, this is, you know, very traditional in line with other 
you know, restaurant weeks, we're trying to encourage people to come out and support restaurants when it's a little slower. You know, winter, you've kind of already had a lot of things, you know, you've had your December and January. So, you know, these months are a little bit slower for restaurants and we're encouraging people to take advantage of some of these deals, which include either 15% off your check. Some restaurants are offering a get an appetizer or dessert free with entree. And a few are um, hosting like prefix menus, including O'Sullivan's in Forest Park, which is offering a you know a three course meal for thirty five dollars. The first course is either super salad, the second course is either Mediterranean salmon or a ribeye gargonzola, and dessert is either your choice of choco flan or a double chocolate cheesecake. I'm getting so hungry already. I know it's dinner time. <laughs> it, is, it is dinner time, and uh, and again, this is uh, uh, information that you could find uh, at one at visitoakpark dot com. And tell us too about uh, bite night. Right. So um, bite night is an evening um, put on by our friends at the Oak Park River Forest Chamber. It is next Friday, March first. From 5.30 to 9.30, and it's held at the 19th Century Club, a very cool venue in Oak Park. Um, You can find information about this on the OPRF, um, you know, either their Facebook or Instagram, or you can find it also on uh, visitoakpark.com Facebook and Instagram uh, pages as well. So it's a, it's an annual, it's their seventh annual bite night. Um, It's just a good celebration. It's $60 tickets. It supports the chamber, but it's also a great reason to come out and get a bunch of, um, you know, bites from, I think it's over 30 restaurants will be participating. Um, You know, there's a bar, there's live music, there's an ask the chef session. Um, So it's just a great event. Come out and support the chamber, but also just get, you know, try a bunch of restaurants that you can try all in one spot. I love that. And I am looking through all the restaurants that you have. I'm such a sucker for uh, for ramen. And so, as you mentioned, there are some great deals, uh, like a free appetizer with entree purchase during Bite the Burbs. And uh, <laughs> first of all, I love the name of this. Tell us, uh, how long has Bite the Burbs been around? This is it. We're starting what? it this year. Hey! Um, yeah, yeah. What? First year. First year. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, so we are, uh, we hope, you know, like any event, it starts out, it it, it will b- really become a huge event for more communities, including, you know, um, further communities out in the West suburbs. But this year we have um, participating restaurants, like you said, Oak Park, Forest Park, and Riverside. And visit oakpark.com is our website. On the homepage, we have an event events button. And if it dro- it will drop down and bite the burbs is a drop down under events and you can learn all about it there. Do you not that you should single anybody out, but do you do you look at this list and go just start thinking about what you're going to order from the menu? Do you have any favorites that jump out at you? <laughs> I'm gonna. I love Italian um, food, and we do a fair amount of Italian restaurants participating. So I'm excited. There are a handful of these. You know, I've been on the job not even a year yet, but I haven't tried all of them. Um, I can't. <laughs> Possibly 
make my way through all of these restaurants within a year, but I'm, I'm excited to try a few more of these Italian ones that are on the list. And that's that's the wonderful thing about something like Bite the Burbs. You might have your favorites, like I mentioned ramen, and, and you like Italian, uh, but it's an opportunity to, to sample different uh, restaurants and maybe even, you know, start one place. I did this with my mom for her birthday. We had dinner at one place, had dessert somewhere else. It's a nice way to, uh, you know, right, to get a little bit of a sample. Plus, we are very lucky. So you start on the 23rd. This is the 23rd uh, for a week. Is that right? Yes, one week, Friday to Friday. And then, like I mentioned, that the last Friday, March 1st of the event is the celebration Bite the Verbs for the Oak Park River Forest Chamber. So we're excited to end the week-long um, event with a cool event. I was just trying to look and I was trying to look and see what the weather's going to be like because I mean today is downright uh, spring like and it looks like it's going to continue uh, at least to the beginning of and it, uh, Sunday is sixty one degrees Annie oh wow <laughs> isn't that something <laughs> wow so you could take a stroll <laughs> I, I know a little bit about the 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 sort of the downtown area of Oak Park are many of the restaurants located in that area or kind of a little bit spread out throughout the community. Well, we do have two other communities outside of Oak Park, River Forest, and I'm sorry, Riverside and Forest Park, um, and River Forest. But yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Oak Park ones are definitely um, walkable. Um, we're also partnering with, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard about um, Takeout 25. It's a nonprofit organization in Oak Park that started during um, the COVID-19 pandemic. And the idea, the principle was really if everyone spent $25 a week in takeout, they would be able to sustain a lot of these restaurants. And this organization is still going on. They have a, they've, they're now focusing on a green dining hub and they will be the first, um, organization to focus on green dining in Illinois. So, um, it's really exciting that they, you know, they got their, they sprouted in Oak Park and they're, growing into other communities as well. So Takeout 25 is participating with us as well. And they have a really great Facebook page. Lots of people turn to their page to hear about new things happening in the restaurant scene out here in the West Suburbs. I think I talked to them early earlier on in the pandemic, and I love that they are uh, continuing to grow and, and, you know, continue to have new ideas on how to sustain not just uh, local businesses, but to do that in a way that is uh, benefits everyone, right? I love that. Yeah, no, it's great. You know, I mean, it, it takes a village, right? Literally, yeah. um, to, to share the promotions that are happening, but also just for people to come out and support these restaurants. Everyone wants restaurants in their community, and they're only sustainable if we go to them. So yeah. this is our attempt to continue that promotion. That was my goal throughout the pandemic, was to support the local best. We, we lost a couple, I will be honest, but some of my yeah. favorites are still here. Uh, we lost, like, uh, in uh, Jefferson Park, we lost, uh, like, the North Branch Chicken and, and uh, Fanny's Kitchen, just, a few, just to name a couple, but uh, places like the Gale Street Inn and Weston's and Percolator. Uh, and, you know, we, folks, uh, it is, uh, the chains are fine. I'm not saying, you know, we don't have our favorites, but it's your local neighborhood restaurants where you make, uh, you know, memories in your community. Don't you think, Annie? Oh, I couldn't agree more. And the people that own those restaurants are usually your neighbors or they hire your neighbor's kid and their first job. I mean, restaurants are, uh, you know, one of those places that people get their first, you know, attempt at learning job skills. So restaurants are so important in general. And it's great that we have, um, you know, 
lot of community members who understand how important it is to support the little guys. I agree. Again, we're talking to to Annie Coakley with uh, with visit. I'm sorry, I've lost all my notes. Uh, from Oak Park, our friends from Oak Park. Visit Oak, visit, Park. Visit Oak Park. You can go to uh, visit yeah. Oak Park. Is it .org or .com? We are .com, and on the homepage, there's an events button. The drop-down underneath that is Bite the Birds, and you can learn everything about this promotion there. I love it. I love what you guys are doing, and I would love to, to stay up to date on any upcoming events. I know it's going to be a wonderful celebration. You guys, the weather looks great to you know get out and visit some of these communities and these local restaurants. Again, it's Bite Night. Uh, it's also coming up. Uh, go to the website. Uh, go, and this one is at the OPRF Chamber, right? That's the website for, for, for Bite Night. Um, so you can check out all the participants in that and how you can be a part of it. But you guys, once you look at this list of all the great restaurants and your, uh, the, the deals that you get, whether it's a free dessert or an appetizer or a percentage off, like at more, you get 15% off. Lou Malnati's, you guys, come on. Uh, so all great stuff, Annie. Thrilled to talk to you. And I will talk to you again soon. Okay, my friend? Sounds great. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Was there anything you wanted to make sure you mentioned? I'd hate for you to, to leave and, and go, oh, you know what? I forgot. Was there anything you wanted to? Oh, not really. Okay. I think we covered a lot. Thank you so much. Excellent. Have a wonderful week and best of luck to everybody participating in Bite the Burbs. Take care. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. you. Take care. Bye. Let's take a break here. We'll take your calls when we come back. 773-763-9278. That's the number to call and join our conversation. You can text as well. 773-763-9278. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. Possibly. Plus, we have an update on some of the locations where you can pick up Monaco Brewing. Some of the newest progressive beers are also now available at Lions Beverage Depot. This is like the longest extended version of that commercial. Hi, everybody. I need some of that guitar in the background. Lions Beverage Depot on Arlington Heights Road in Arlington Heights. Foremost Liquors uh, on Lee Street in Des Plaines. Doty Liquors. We love our friends at Doty Liquors on Fullerton and Elmhurst. Uh, and then there's Beer on Central in Evanston. They've got uh, Schoolhouse Bach, which is great. Love Wins Pineapple Mango Fruited Sour. And I have to say, I am deeply in love with the Dark Brandon Espresso Stout. So those items and so many more are now in stock at those locations. So stop by. Because uh, one, if you if you enjoy a, a brew, these are really incredible craft beers. I, I love uh, the the variety of flavors. And look, I'm not going to tell you which one I don't like. Maybe you like a, a, an IPA. That's not because of the, the brand. It's because my tastes are more, uh, I like stouts. I like my hazy IPA. That Bach is amazing, and the sour, oh, all good stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, like I'm a, I'm a fan of Monaco Brewing Company, but I'm not just going to tell you that uh, I just like all of them. I have my favorites. So if you want to stop by and grab them from one of those locations, you also support our our show. You support the work that Kirk is doing in Wisconsin to flip the uh, the state and uh, drive fascism out of our uh, communities of. Uh, our neighbors to the north. Let's go to the phone lines. Jim in Chicago. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Teddy. I think somebody snuck in the Grand Old Party. Somebody from the Grand Old Party snuck into the 
wardrobe department for the king and I came up with a pair of golden shoes. Oh, you saw Sneaker uh, Con. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but they got it from the king. Somebody, somebody snuck into the king and I and got the old Britter used to wear those. And I don't know if you ever saw the Broadway production of King and I used to wear the golden shoes. But the, the, the beauty of this is if Herbert Hoover, this is President's Day, if Herbert Hoover in 1932, who was down in the polls, funny, he would have gotten those golden shoes. I'm sure he could have pulled the election out of the hat. Uh, hmm. Being facetious, of course. Yeah, but I was going to say, yeah, is, that's, the, that's the difference between making well, yeah, a breaking yeah, campaign, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 a pair of golden shoes. Yeah, a pair of golden shoes. But, you know, you were a lifeguard. Think of these, if they were solid gold, let's say they were solid gold. Oh, if you were in a rowboat, if you were in a rowboat, you wouldn't put your, your feet out of the rowboat unless you, the water wasn't over your head because you'd go right to the bottom and you'd be drowned, you know, with the golden shoes on. But uh, if that is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in, uh, from a candidate in the history of the United States, I don't care where you go back to... Uh, you know, to George Washington, to Quincy Adams, to Jefferson, to you name it. If they would have mentioned they were going to sell golden shoes, they would have been left, run out of town on a rail. Well, I everything, mean, everything that he sells from steaks to, you know, gold coins and pieces of his suit. Now, remember, he's selling pieces of his suit from when he was uh, taking that mugshot, right, when he had to turn himself over to authorities. You know, they, you know, they sell pieces of that suit, too, right? It's crazy. Like he, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost like a relic, like a saint, yeah. like a Catholic saint. You know, you would get a, you'd get a relic. Yeah. What, what do they call them? From the 15th century. What do they call the material that sure. was that they wrapped a, a body of Christ in? Like it was the uh, the cloth of Turin, right? Is that the? Well, uh, that's been studied for years and years and years. But I'm just saying, he, that's he how was, people are it, reacting it, to it. Like, it's, you know, it's imprinted with his holiness yeah, of Donald right. Trump. It's so gross. Shroud, the Shroud of Turin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sir. But uh, he, uh, what else is that my insane mind here? He, uh, I love that you put the question out there. What's on in my insane mind? I mean, I think that we all feel like yeah, well, yeah. it's so hard to grab yeah, onto yeah, one idea. Yeah. And, and then I heard him say, and then I heard him say to you real quick, Patty, because you're a lot of college. He said, uh, well, a woman doesn't know she's pregnant for six or seven weeks. So I, I wanted to call and say, well, it, I know he went to Trump University, but he's an obstetrician also besides a golden shoe salesman. Yeah. He's also an obstetrician. He can tell who's pregnant for six or seven weeks. I mean, this guy knows no bounds. No. Knows no bounds. And then to, and then to mention that he's going to uh, take us out of NATO, we're, we're in the middle of a, a war with Russia and Ukraine. Is just beyond irresponsibility. Anyway, Patty, I know you got a lot of great calls. It's good to hear you this week. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Take care. Yeah, I couldn't believe that uh, they were having. I, I, and I don't even know why I would ever have that in my mental space that Trump would be selling $400 gym shoes. And it's it's absolutely and people are so excited. And I think and if you just saw this, uh, but there was also a, a Russian uh, like oligarch who bought them. He wanted a pair, too. When you have uh, the oligarchs of Russia cheering, 
your ridiculousness and wanting a piece of it. I mean, what upside down world are we are we living in? And I was thinking about this when I when I mentioned earlier that it's President's Day and uh, presidential historians have come out with their list of uh, ranking uh, presidents from best to worst. And uh, Trump has been named the worst president of all time. Uh, 46 out of 46. And I can't I can't, I can't argue that. I mean, I haven't studied all of the presidents. Um but these and look, even look Herbert Herbert Hoover, who got a really bad rap, made some bad choices, but had some really good ideas. Uh, not as nearly as bad as this guy. He's just not. Uh, but we, but just we're, we're living in a very strange reality. Steve in Chicago, what's on your mind, my friend? Hey, I just wanted to chime in because yeah, obviously the. Uh Sorry, I'm walking my neighbor's dogs. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously, the golden shoes are ridiculous and all. I, I think what we also have to remember is it's all a way to, to funnel him money and not necessarily just from his base. Yes. Because, again, you, oh, you, you put out $400 you know, shoes. They've probably never been made. They're not in a warehouse somewhere. They don't exist. That's it's a, a way for the Saudis and the Russians to send him money and go, oh, yeah, we sold all of these people this money or these shoes, and that's where we got the money. It's so funny. Steve was telling me that. My husband was telling me that, too, and then I, I didn't. Uh, it fell out of my head until you reminded me that that's basically what they do. It's just a way to, it's a, yeah, yeah it, it's just a way to, to yeah. it, it's a cover for cash. Yeah, it's the same way with the tokens and with the hotel rooms and the, you know all the other those other kind of things where you hear these stories about how apartments were sold in Trump Tower that have never been lived in. Where literally they just bought it so they could give him money and say, "Oh yeah, no, that's, this is a business transaction, not a bribe." Yeah, yeah, they have to have, they have to be able to put that uh, on paper as a a, yeah. a legitimate sale. And what do you think? I love the idea of Laura Trump becoming the uh, co-chair of the RNC, and basically she she's already said her singular goal was to raise money for her daddy. Uh, yeah, do that, and basically yeah. making every Republican candidate vulnerable across the country. Exactly. And, and I've been saying that since 2016, as painful as all this is, how dangerous as all this is, if the Trumps pull down the Republican Party and destroy it, well, that's the one positive thing that came out of this. Yeah, I mean, I I have my moments where I, I, I'm trying to think back to when, you know, because Newt Gingrich really ushered in this idea of no negotiating right there. Was it their 100-day uh, promise or something like that? Their 100-day contract. Yeah. Uh, and they became... The contract on America. Contract on... Yeah. <laughs> they took a contract out on us, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, and on democracy. They... Uh, yeah. And there was so much... like Not that... Look, we know that politics has always been really nasty. And there have been special interests that manipulate things in different ways, whether it's yeah. religion or corporations. The the tenor of what happened under Clinton and I. What did you think when when I, I remember I was only twenty twenty one years old when Clinton became president and when he announced Hillary to be in charge of health care. I thought and you looked around and you, that was your best. I, I, that kind of bothered me because I knew it was going to draw a lot of hatred and it made such an important issue vulnerable to the hatred of Republicans. Does that make sense? I get that, but I I'm also firmly of the opinion that. No matter who he picked, yes, because they do not because they do not want to give up the profits that they get out of healthcare. These you know for how many years it was whoever was going to be the leader was going to be the target. Uh, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you before. Another thing we, I think we really have to remember is Trump is not a cause. No, he's a symptom. 
Yes. He is the inevitable yeah. result of 60 years of Republican policy in the 60s when they said, oh, you know, we're losing people. OK, let's bring in the let's bring in the, the racist Southerners because they're they're defecting from the Republic for the Democratic Party. And in the 70s, when they went, you know, let's align with these crazy right wing so-called Christians. We don't believe a word they say, but they vote and they vote right. 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 So let's tell them we'll do whatever we want. Yes. And they did. They, they, they delivered the Supreme Court to them. Yeah, and you're right. And I and I think that is a big part of this, right, is that, uh, you know, the influences that shape what the current Republican Party is, uh, is what we are dealing with right now. And so it's hard to say, you know, when people always mention Tip O'Neill and, uh, you know, that they use a tip and uh, Reagan used to sit down with a bottle of bourbon or whatever and be able to hammer things out. Uh, but, you know, there were so many elements behind the scene manipulating Reagan. And I think, you know, when we talk about the negative impacts of a presidency, I think that Reagan's administration continues to have uh, really horrendous uh, effects on our our economy, on our lives. And Trump basically came in and was able to blow that up and make it even worse. The elements that were were embedded, whether it was tax cuts for the wealthiest, uh, again, you know, making sure that health care is so inaccessible and expensive because those those costs continue to escalate uh, completely out of control. But, yeah, all the all the things, all the things I, I I don't remember if we've discussed this or not, but um, James Garner, the actor, was in uh, the Screen Actors Guild when mm-hmm. Reagan was president. And afterwards, he said, yeah, I recognized very early working with him. He had no original ideas. He did not believe in anything. But the people behind him recognized that he, that he was very well spoken and could really command the crowd. And so basically, he just repeated whatever was whispered in his ears by the people behind him. Right. Yeah, he was a vessel for for all the groups, for the racists, for the uh, evangelicals, for, and for big power corporations and wealthy yeah. individuals. Yeah. 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 And here we and are. In a very twisted way. Yeah, and in, and in a very twisted way, Trump is the same way. There's very little yes. that Trump really believes in other than what's good for Trump. And, you know, they say, again, whatever you hear from Trump is whatever he heard from the last person who flattered him. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a vanity seat for both him and it was for yeah. uh, for Reagan. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Have a You're good, welcome. Have a great night. Good to hear from you. Great. Have a good night as well. Uh, let's. Uh, oh, let me catch up on some texts, and we'll come back and take some more phone calls. The number again to call or text is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. The number again seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. Let me get to a couple of uh, texts um, from our friend Beth. Uh, I don't know when it happened, but Trump has morphed from a former president into some sort of carnival figure. Yeah. I would, I, but I felt that way when he ran the first time. Remember when he would like point out people who were being disruptive and say, "Beat the hell out of them" or "Get them out of here," and then doing the antics of mocking a reporter with with a disability and uh, and just he constantly was making it this sort of. Even when he was in in the office, he would say the most absurd, ridiculous things, and because uh, he was still in office when he started talking about water pressure, I was like, "What? What is that happening?" He's like, "You go into the you go into the shower and." And it just, it just trickles on you, and you can't even you can't even lather up. And now I got to think about Trump in the shower. Um, but anyway, uh, Beth goes on. I was wondering where the sh- the shoes were made. Oh yeah, I'm assuming it's yes. I agree, Beth. I agree. I assume it's in China. Uh, of course it is. And, it, and people are showing uh, images of uh, a pair of shoes that look just like those that were eighteen dollars um, in Wisconsin. Thank you for texting. Interesting stuff. My t- my take bottom five. My take is the bottom five U.S. presidents are Reagan. Carter, Buchanan, Harding, and Trump. Okay, interesting. It's funny, uh, 
uh, people often uh, list Carter as a, 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 a not a good president or a terrible president. And there were so many policies. Uh, we talked last week with the architect uh, Nick Pinnis about uh, when R- Carter had put solar panels uh, on the uh, roof of the White House. Now, remember, this guy was a, a nuclear uh, engineer. He'd worked on submarines. He had a background in science and, and technology and uh, had been the governor of Georgia. There were a lot of elements. There are a lot of people who think that he was a terrible president. I was only six years old, and I haven't studied that period of our history very closely. Uh, but there were also a lot of mechanisms in which Reagan manipulated and uh, did a lot of uh, shady things in order to become president. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if things would have been better had Carter, uh, if he'd been able to sort of uh, regain our trust. We had, of course, the uh, the gas and oil shortage, uh, which people did not want to be in lines filling up their, their tanks for their car. I'll tell you that right now. So I think that had... Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to... There we go. Put that there. Uh, sorry, I'm just trying to make sure I manage the phones too while I'm taking the texts. Uh, so yeah, I, I can see the, the other ones as well. Uh, one Another texter in regards to um, the presidency, I actually think Bush Jr. was as bad the war in Iraq. Uh, I think that that was, uh, yeah, I, look, I will, I know that Stephanie Miller talks about dying angry because Hillary lost. I'll die angry uh, just those freaking hanging chads in Florida and waiting and and hoping that the Supreme Court would uh, allow the county to continue. And of course, um, they said that uh, that, that it was time to uh, suspend the counting and that that, uh, Bush would be the president of the United States. And then to say that one state and recently SCOTUS has uh, been saying that, you know, should one state have the ability to decide if uh, someone's going to be president or not be president? And of course, they put that in the hands of uh, unfinished counting recount in Florida so that Bush could become president. So, uh, And there were always conversations that Bush Jr. essentially went back to Iraq to uh, you know, vindicate his father and what had been started under Bush Sr. Uh, the 773 says, after Trump gets through paying off the $450 million lawsuits, remember folks, there's another $100 million on top of the 300 some million because of interest. Um, after Trump gets through paying off the $450 million lawsuits, he may have to support himself by becoming a secure guard in one of his hotels. Yeah, he might. Uh, I, they don't know what, what work is. Uh, you know what I just learned? Here's an interesting stat. I, I was trying to find out how much uh, wealth is consolidated in, in the uh, top like 1% to 3%. Do you know that 35% of wealth is inherited? 35% of wealth. So if you don't have somebody that is going to leave you... It, it, I was like, I was astounded by that. That's a huge number. Let's take a break here. Continue taking your calls and your texts. 773-763-9278. That's the number to call and join our conversation. We'll return in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. We are taking your calls. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us as we drive it home. I am your host, Patty Vasquez. Uh, On the line, one of our listeners in Hammond, Indiana is John. Hey, John, what's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Patty. Uh, Happy Monday to you. Happy Monday. Uh, uh, Hey, I just wanted to talk about the uh, upcoming convention and the potential platform that the Democratic Party might have. Um, in my opinion, one of the reasons why... Uh, you know my stance on these wars, Patty, right? What's your stance on the wars? Uh, on Gaza and uh, Ukraine and... Yes. And Yemen. And- I'm a very much... A, 
I'm opposed to wars. I'm opposed to conflict. Uh, I think it's all the military-industrial complex. And here's the thing nobody's talking about. When there is um, spending above the uh, income that we take in as a country, so in other words, um, we have a deficit, okay? Um, ultimately, that leads to inflation. It's real simple. It's, it's just like you go and buy something for 100 bucks, you put it on a credit card. And let's just say that the, the interest rate on that credit card is, I don't know, 10, 12, 20, 20%, whatever. So if you don't pay that item off for $100, you will end up paying $122. Kind of the same concept with the national debt. So um, the point being is uh, we, we should strive for a balanced budget that will reduce inflation and make our lives better. If you want to think about retiring after you've worked your entire life, how in the heck are you supposed to retire in an inflationary period? Regardless of the inflation rate, it's going to be very challenging uh, for everybody, okay? And these are the sorts of nuts and bolts concepts the Democratic Party needs to get back to. And one, one last thing I want to point out is um, immigration. So I thought about it because I live in Hammond. You know, we had, uh, and I, my, my parents were immigrants, okay? Mm-hmm. So... People that left Hammond in the 70s and 80s and went out to the south suburbs and western suburbs and wherever, we had immigrants come in, predominantly Hispanic immigrants come into Hammond. Um, So you you could argue the the economic growth was the direct result of the immigration. In other words, the immigrants bought the homes to allow these people to move out. So they could buy new homes and, and develop uh, those, those suburbs. The only problem from an environmental standpoint is I don't want urban sprawl. I want green space. Right. And, uh, and the thing about it is um, the Democratic Party, uh, it's almost like they're living in the World War II model. Hey, you know, if we have endless wars and we have all this giant influx of immigrant, immigrants, I mean, what is going to be the population do you want to match India and be 1.5 billion or China? I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but I think farmlands should be farms or, or prairies. Right. right. And uh, and I'm I'm sick of urban sprawl. You know, I don't want to see concrete and asphalt and buildings. And I tell you, my Democratic Party, I can and all politics is local. My local Democratic Party, they want to pave over every ounce of green space we have left. And that, that's what we get. And it's all about you. We go to generate revenue. No, it isn't. What about quality of life? Yes. These guys never talk about it. Yep. They never talk about it. I, I so feel, anyway, I'm I just f- trying to. Yeah, no, I feel, I, I feel that way. And I, and I all, I, you know, I have in my, in parts of my life where I do research on how, you know, we are supporting migrants and the amount of money that we're spending toward that. I see so much waste, right? And to that, to your point about whether it's, it's migrants and, and buying homes or how we uh, develop property. And I know that Hawkberg was talking about, you know, buildings that have been empty for, you know, decades. Well, why aren't we holding the people? People that hold, own those properties accountable, and if and if we need to, why can't we use whether it's eminent domain or some way to purpose those buildings for use in, in housing people? We have so much property. I, the idea of repurposing, whether it's industrial buildings or old school buildings, and to your point about you know green space, so that we're not uh, paving over everything, and uh, you know, and, and we can build up. People are always like, well, what about the parking lots? We need to invest in ways where people have access to the services and their and businesses in 
in their own communities to make it more walkable, more uh, accessible by public transportation, by biking, rather than always thinking you needed to jump in your car to go someplace. And and even in my and, yeah, and in my neighborhood, there's a lot of great businesses, and it's hard to, to keep them going because we have that car mentality of if I'm going to go out, if I'm going to get in my car anyway, well, I'm going to go to Rosemont or I'm going to go to Niles or or downtown and not go four or five blocks and, and eat at the great taco joint on Irving Park Road, you know? Exactly. And I think what's, you know, the thing is, is I'm 62, going to be 62. And the, the thing is, I remember when I was a kid in the 60s and 70s, it was kind of like smaller town America. Chicago was like the, the big city and there was nothing else around like it. Right. But now the urbanization just goes on forever. And my, I guess what I'm getting at is I feel for young people because they don't, I don't know if they really understand what it was like in those smaller communities, you know, where people felt part of a community, you know. And I don't know. I think that's being lost somehow. I, I think so. I tell you, I, today, because it was warm out, there were kids in the park across the street from where I live. And I was like, it was the best sound I have heard in months. <laughs> They're out there playing football and basketball. And I'm like, th- I, I didn't realize how much I needed that in my life was to see people outside enjoying the sunshine and connecting yeah, with each it, other. You know, these are kids from the neighborhood it, who come together. I love it. Yes. And in a public green space. How about that? Exactly. Right? See, we, we you know? ended exactly where you and I feel passionate about what, what our government should be doing. Thank you so much, John. Have a great okay, evening. Thank you, Patty. Take you care. Too. Bye. Now you're going to get a rebuttal. Uh, so let me do it here before I go to the break. And Dave's, I'm going to talk to Dave in a minute off the line because I, I have a guest coming up. Jeanette, you wanted to respond to John's uh, comments. I did. And, you know, I, I he mentioned about the Democrats. Um, being, uh, you know, about the balanced budget and uh, the Democrats, he kept saying, being warmongers. You know what? It's not necessarily the Democrats. It's both parties. Oh, for sure. um, There's a difference between a war that isn't our doing and a war that is. Look at the one uh, Minnie Mae Bush did. That was atrocious and unnecessary and all there because of lies. Absolutely because of lies. And if we do not um, help Ukraine, a lot of people will be surprised how many of their, their children, themselves, their grandchildren, their nephews, maybe nieces, things like that, daughters, will have to get into a war. We'll have to go overseas. And especially, it's always the people, the working class and the poor, because they don't have the option. Right. And I think something else like going to university. Right. And I, I think I took it more as, uh, you know, we, you know, we, we don't seem to, well, I, I think there are plenty of, uh, of Democrats in office who are uh, ringing the bell of peace and, you know, and also the reasons why we need to be in Ukraine, uh, you know, s- sending defensive equipment to Ukraine. Uh, in, in, in regards to that, it would otherwise be decomm- decommissioned. Uh, and it, it, there's a lot of different layers to it, but I, I, I see where you're coming yeah, from. And I think, absolutely. and I think what I liked about what he said is the balanced budget idea, which I think there was a bipartisan effort to to, to work on that. And, you know, we don't talk, we, we, to his point, we don't talk about a balanced budget and lowering our deficit uh, in part because we are invested in so many different areas. Well, wait a moment, wait a moment. Let me interrupt you because there's a lot of people in corporations that are not paying their fair yes. share of taxes. Oh, a thousand percent. And, you know, I, that, welfare yeah. queens, 
I don't want to hear about working class people or the poor being welfare thing. It's the corporations yep. and it's the we, people that own some of those big corporations that move other places and don't want to pay any taxes. They feel they got to where they were on their own. Amen. I agree. Yes. I agree. No, you're absolutely right and, about that. And the only, and, to, huh? the only real way to get public, uh, to get a balanced budget is to get those people to pay those taxes. Amen. I agree. Thanks, Jeanette. Have a good day. I got to run to I got to run to the top of the hour, but absolutely great points. Have a good one. Let's take a break here. Uh, get to the news, and coming up after the news, we're going to talk about Rick Perlstein, who's the author of uh, so many great books like Nixonland. I know my son just finished that one. Uh, the Rise of Conservatism. Uh, he's written about so many great parts of our history and how we ended up here. And we'll catch up with him when we come back on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. Dave, uh, yeah, call me after uh, after Rick. Driving it home. I am so excited to welcome our guest here at the top of the hour and also want to say hi to our friends before we get Rick on the line. Hi to our friends in Minneapolis, St. Paul, listening on KTNF 950 AM, joining us here at WCPT 820 AM and somewhere uh, an undisclosed location enjoying uh, the out uh, do you now Rick Pearlstein joins us author historian uh, you've seen him on your TVs talking about topics in the news and the history of uh, the president well it's funny that we have you on today actually on President's Day um, ah. I'll, I'll, I didn't it was not planned because I we've been meaning to have you on because uh, you are now uh, working with a great uh, news outlet the American Prospect you can find his work yeah. uh, at prospect.org and we'll talk about some of that work in a moment but well you know you you live you marinate in presidential issues and topics over the last about what 80 years 100 years how far back would you say you go with your expertise um i started working on my history books in 1997 like you know half my life yeah wow Wow, I'm so, totally ready to retire, Patty. Are you really? No, don't do that. Because yeah. we, 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 well, look, what what kind of drew you to write specifically about the rise of conservatism in your books? Ooh, that's a really interesting question, Patty. It, it came because I was obsessed, even from when I was a kid with the '60s. I was so into the '60s. You know, the hippies, the civil rights movement, the counterculture, the new left, the anti-war movement. And, you know, when I grew up and uh, started working as a magazine editor and a writer, and uh, I was looking for kind of a book subject, one of the things that was galvanizing for that was realizing that, uh, oops, it turns out that the right wing kind of won the 60s, right? They elected Nixon, they reelected Nixon, and then they reelected, they elected Reagan and reelected Reagan in 1984, basically running on the 60s, you know, kind of turning back the clock before all that liberation, before feminism, before the civil rights movement. So that was basically how I got there. And uh, now I'm stuck. <laughs> now I'm stuck <laughs> well, with it. Well, <laughs> marinating. It marinating in, in all these issues and these personalities that have really culminated. It turned out to be a pretty good business plan. I was going to say, you know, it was funny. I, I, I've been thinking about this because when I was, uh, you know, 
you know, Nancy McLean was my uh, my mentor mm-hmm. at, at Northwestern, and I was right. doing I, I was working on my my master's thesis was going to be on abortion, and I thought, would I have been like the right. the foremost scholar on a? And you I'm would like, have been the Rick Perlstein of, of yes. <laughs> abortion. <laughs> I'm, I oh am, man, uh, yeah. But you had you you know kind of become a scholar of abortion, you know, you would always have something to write about. You know, oh, you would God. always have a ready audience, and you know, if I you know chosen to write about you know. Uh, you know, fishing or jazz or something. I'd be you know living in a garret. But here I am in my cabin in Marshall County. By the way, you know you're Illinois. You know Marshall County. I'm honestly, I have to look it up. What uh, what cities are nearby Marshall it's, County? It's, it's, it's no cities. It's down the road from um, it's zero road cities from uh, Star Rock. Oh, that's a beautiful area. All right. Yes, it's uh, the Illinois River Valley. I love that even, you know, a lot of people get their cabins or their summer homes or they go to relax in Wisconsin or Indiana. Exactly. I love that. You you... Know, this is like the best kept secret around here. Yes. Oops. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're all we're all going to get uh, we're gonna go, well, Starved Rock. That whole There's area. A, house, a really nice house down the street from us that's for sale. It's, oh. a, it's, a, it's a complex called um, Lake Wildwood, and we live right on a lake. And uh, anyway. Oh, that's a whole send me, send me the details on that property, will you? I'll send you the pic. Yeah. <laughs> fishing with me. Let me know. Well, because, you know, to the point about the, you know, starting these books uh, uh, and the rise of conservatism and, and the work that you've done. And before the storm, uh, you know, when you started that book or started the study of conservatism, mm-hmm. I mean, would you in your wildest dreams, did you know that the threat of moving towards fascism was always there? But there had been different because people say, you know, well, go ahead, because people, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Kind of. Kind of, you know, kind of. I mean, you know, what really kind of got me interested in the right, I told you about, you know, the obsession with the 60s, but I was not really super involved in electoral politics or interested in that. And really what got me going was after Newt Gingrich and, uh, you know, kind of the Gingrich Revolution in 1994 won, for some reason I started listening to talk radio and... Um, you remember that Timothy McVeigh blew up the Murrah Federal Building in April 19 of 1995. And right. when it happened, I kind of wasn't that surprised because oh. I've been listening to talk radio. And the the vitriol that people were pouring out about the federal government is the font of all evil. It's, you know, you remember G. Gordon Liddy, our, you know, speaking of history, you know, he had a, he, he, you know, he's a Watergate felon. He becomes the most, one of the most popular right-wing talk radio stars. And right before that, he went on the radio and said, if you see an ATF agent on your property, shoot him with headshots, not at the body, because he'll uh. be wearing a, right. So that, that, so in a way, in a way, I always kind of appreciated that things in America were kind of much darker than the kind of mainstream kind of culture let on. And at the same time, you know, I thought, like a lot of us, that, you know, Barry Goldwater, Barry Obama, Barack Obama, you know, maybe we turned a corner, you know. And, um, you know, that turned out to be just the harbinger of a, a bigger backlash. So I can't claim to be some kind of, you know, seer or prophet or augurer. Um, but I think that it's really important to understand that these guys have always been with us and they've kind of been just beneath the surface, you know, and what it took was just a couple 
shifts in the institutional climate. A couple of, you know, individuals who, you know, were power hungry and, you know, understood that the route to power was kind of, uh, let's say, weaponizing these kinds of hates, this kind of demagoguery. And, you know, here we are. Yeah. Well, I, I was uh, talking with someone earlier today about, you know, the, the that they're in she was saying that uh, people think that there's enough basically mechanisms in our government that if Trump wins again, that, you know, the, you know democracy will be fine. I talked to a young man, uh, a comedian that I was working with, and he was like, well, you know, if Trump wins, it'll just be like when he was president before. And I'm like, I don't think enough people are paying attention. That's very, very, very naive. Yes. And to hear that makes me very, very depressed. I mean, I hope I'm not preaching to the choir on WCPT and Minneapolis. I didn't know you were on there. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, but yes, I mean, um, just to outline it briefly, the people who really see America as theirs to play with as they wish um, basically saw the Trump years between 1917 and 1921 as a trial run. And they've spent the net, the, 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 basically the last three years planning. People in the Heritage Foundation think things like this. Just Google the 2025 project and they have it all mapped out. They want to get rid of everything, you know, not just abortion. You know, they want to, you know, get rid of things like Social Security, get rid of things like Medicare, and they want to get rid of Basically, the idea of an expert civil service of people who are kind of beyond party, people like scientists, you know. Do you know that Donald Trump tried to try, try to privatize the National Weather Service, by the way? Oh, my God. I mean, this is just, you know, just to give a case study of why everyone should be absolutely terrified. Um, the National Weather Service, as well you can imagine, is a foundation of the American economy. When you think about farmers, think about so many people who rely on, you know, basically weather reports, as simple as it is. Even something like, you know, radio stations and TV stations, they get that data free from the government. And Donald Trump, you know, turned it over to a guy who's like, wow, we should charge for this stuff. It's really valuable. Giving out this weather information, you know, when, you know, we could charge for it. And they came quite close. And that's exactly the kind of thing they're planning for. If Donald Trump is president, they're going to shut down anything that serves the public, you know, that serves kind of the broad democratic will of all the people and turn it into a profit center, you know, or shut it down altogether if it doesn't, you know, go along with their very dark vision of what America is, where, you know, basically women are barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and all that stuff. And, you know, read this stuff. They wrote a thousand page plan for what they want to do if Trump becomes president. So yes, your young friend who thinks that everything is going to be okay. And your friend who says that there's lots of, uh, you know, staff gaps in the government. They have things called executive orders, which the president is allowed to use as long as he or she is the president. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to make end runs about around Congress. They've lined up a plant Supreme court. They've lined up a, Client federal judiciary, and the idea that somehow these kind of walls are in place and are going to protect us, 
Um, don't forget that these folks are armed as well. Uh, it's as dark as it possibly could be. And if Donald Trump wins the most votes, it'll be terrifying. It might even be more terrifying if he doesn't win the most votes because you know exactly what he's going to do, Patty Vasquez. Yeah, there's going to yeah, January sixth will look like a cakewalk. Yes, yeah. I, I is that why you have a cabin and uh, and you're looking at properties in Canada as well? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at properties in uh, a different continent. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You heard I, it here first. Well, and, and here's the thing, like you and I can, can you know, talk about it and wonder about it and Google about it because, you know, if we absolutely had to, we might be able to do that. And there are a that's, lot of people. And we're reason, not as vulnerable as people yes. know, who are really going to be suffering. And that's and if you care about those people at all, you have to. Yes. You have to not only vote, but convince everyone you know to vote. Yes. Because if, if Trump, you know, if Donald Trump wins, you know, 40 percent of the vote, that's a nightmare. If he wins 39% of the vote, well, this is probably manageable. Okay. Right. So we can't even let it be yeah. close. No, no. And, and if you're in a state that's a blue state, you still have to do the exact same thing because you basically have to be part of the demonstration. You know, I mean, you know, I've been studying a heck, studying a heck of a lot more German history than I ever realized that I ever would. And, you know, I mean, the big guy, the guy with the mustache, you know, he came to power because he had enough votes in an election to form a government in Germany. Right. He came to power using the German Constitution. Mussolini came to power using the Italian Constitution. And the, the way they were able to do this was they convinced basically the, the normal non-fascist conservatives that these people um had enough popularity that they could be sort of partnered with and bought off, right? There was this guy named, uh, you know, you're a historian, this guy named Fritz von Poppen. He was the vice chancellor of Germany. And he said, after we after we um, start this uh, government with Hitler, we're going to back him up so far in the corner, he's going to squeak. You know, we're going to be able to control him, right? And that was a tragic, tragic miscalculation. And, you know, when you see people like Jamie Dimon, you know, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Ugh. and he's like, oh, you know, Trump has some good ideas, <laughs> and we can work with him. Yeah. I call it Ben Poppinism, right? It's the same thing. Yeah, I was I, I couldn't believe I was like, why am why is this happening right now? Why is this guy saying anything? And you're right. It was right. it's the uber wealthy. He was basically, yeah, the uber wealthy. Right. Right. Or as, uh, as Tom Hartman calls them, the morbidly wealthy, uh, basically the morbidly wealthy and they're dead inside. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, it's like it's, it's the old scorpion thing. I mean, the old, uh, you know, kind of riding the tiger thing, because, you know, the conditions that will be in place if Trump becomes president will not make anyone's wealth safe because all you need to do is cross him, you know, and right. he'll use all the powers of the government against you. So, you know, he's basically declaring himself, if he thinks that he, you know, if, if, if even someone as powerful as Jamie Dimon thinks that he can control this, you know, he's very naive, just as naive as, you know, your friends. And uh, he might be, you know, lined up against the wall with the rest of us if he, uh, you know, crosses the big guy. And this guy is extremely vindictive, you know, and he also has spent the last three years planning how he's going to get his bad guys. We are talking to uh, author and historian Rick Perlstein. You can go to uh, prospect.org and see some of his latest work. And we, do you have time to hang out with us for a little bit longer or are you... Uh... Sure. 
Okay. I'll another segment. Okay, excellent. Uh, let me take a break here. We're hanging out with Rick Perlstein. Go to, go to prospect.org and uh, look up uh, look for some of the great work that Rick Perlstein has there as well as go, you know, take a look at the books and uh, it's, it, my son, uh, I, I was, uh, he's, he's got so many uh, post-its in the book that, uh, that he got for his birthday. Oh, and I, that's I, darling. And I think he, I, he's finished Nixon Land and I want to say with the, I know he, he was reading the, another one as well. Well, that's, that's neither here nor there. Let's continue our conversation with Rick Perlstein when we come back <laughs> on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like Biden beer, which is inoffensive and not bitter, and Extinct Elephant, a moderate red ale. Because you know those moderate Republicans seem to be going the way of the dodo. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to keep Wisconsin blue and drive the MAGA cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. To keep track of the good trouble we're making in Wisconsin and where to buy our beer, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, MonacoBrewingCompany.com. And drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I was just thinking I should grab a, a selection of beers to give to our friend Rick Perlstein. Are you a beer drinker, Rick? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I, I, I was, because uh, it's a wide range of, uh, of beverages, so I'm going to put together a, a mix pack for you and bring it by sometime. Uh, Rick Pearls, yeah, I think you would enjoy some of these. Uh, I, there's a really good, there's a dark. I can be a brand ambassador. Is that the guy who um, <laughs> they tried to shut him down? Yes. And I've, I've heard him on, oh my God, and what was, what's that show that they do from Wisconsin? Oh my God, what a guy. I love it. Those are the people who are going to save us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, Wisconsin is, uh, it's it's fast. Their electoral history is fascinating. Are you, you're brother lives in wisconsin right um my little brother lives there i grew up there oh, yes. right. okay yeah so it's a strange it's funny because you know obviously madison is sort of this uh um you know blue liberal people's republic of madison yeah yeah and then there there's i was talking to a guy at a comedy show and i mentioned monaco brewing company and the guy went off about you know just all kinds of name calling about liberals and democrats and i was like okay oh my <laughs> well you know it's always been the um it's been the bavarians against the Finns in wisconsin and the Finns were socialists and the Bavarians were, you know, different. <laughs> yeah, a, a little more strident in there. <laughs> yeah, a little more, a little more. But they elected McCarthy. Oh, well, yeah. There you go. Yeah, McCarthy was a solid. But we could just bore people are nerding out on history. We should probably, you know, enter the 21st century here. Well, and you can follow all of Rick's work at uh, prospect.org. How do folks uh, find your work and uh, sign up? Yes. If you go to prospect.org, which is a wonderful liberal magazine, especially on policy stuff, uh, you know, how banks screw people and all that kind of thing, um, a page will come up. It's like a splash page, and it'll say, this is not a paywall, and it's not a paywall, but you can kind of click uh, different newsletters you want to sign up for and then put your uh, email at the bottom. So I can show up, get Rick Perlstein in your inbox every every Wednesday morning. Outstanding, and uh, and the work you, you do is, just, is 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 so remarkable and, and important. Uh, I was telling you off the air that uh, I'd gone to see, I went to see Lewis Black last night at the Genesee mm-hmm. Theater, and he was talking about you know people come up to him, and then this has happened to me too in my career, uh, in particular when Trump won. People say it must be a great time to be a comedian because they give you so much right. material, and we're like, we don't need this. This is not. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a treasure yeah, trove. I, I would trade. Yeah. You know, I would trade living 
sitting in a garret, you know, and eating, you know, uh, eating straw for what's what's happening to America any day. Yes. And, and you and you write uh, your most recent piece is about the uh, the uh, cultural artifact that meets the moment. I don't I don't think I've, I've I don't know much about Under the Dome by Stephen King. Tell us a little bit about this piece. This was a fascination to me. I am kind of fascinated by, I, you know, obviously I consider the rise of the right in America the most you know, interesting thing that's you know happened in the last fifty years, and it's a great story. But there's very little culture about it. There's very little good movies, good TV shows. There was kind of in the previous generation, you know, stuff like The Twilight Zone did, like dealt with a lot of this stuff. You know, there was something like A Face in the Crowd with Andy Griffin. Do you remember that one? Yes. A wonderful movie from the early 60s. It's basically about, you know, a Trump-like figure becoming president. And there's not a lot of that now, and there's all kinds of interesting reasons to reflect on it. Um, but I basically went looking for um, popular culture, high culture, novels, movies, TV shows that dealt with the stuff. Um, actually, one of the most cited when I when I kind of went looking was people talked about Andor, the, the Star Wars universe thing, which is basically about uh, how the Empire kind of took over. And uh, the thing that I read that really kind of most intimately and most engrossingly explained how a normal American town could surrender to a dictatorship was the Stephen King novel from 2009 about what happens when this little town in Maine, you know, just like kind of the little towns all around me by my cabin, um, gets surrounded mysteriously by an impenetrable, invisible wall walled off from the rest of the the rest of the world and basically the the town um potentate you know the richest man in town is the used car dealer he uses this crisis to create a dictatorship and this hardy band of misfits and town liberals um fight to the death against this guy who basically turns this small town in Maine into Magaland. And it's absolutely illuminating about how people you thought you knew, ordinary people, and I get these stories all the time, become um, aliens, right? Um, I In the piece, I talk about uh, a documentary called The Brainwashing of My Dad. And that's a documentary that came out well, six or seven years ago. And it's by a woman named Jen Senko. She'd be a great person to have on, actually. She talked about how her dad stopped carpooling and started driving to work and suddenly started listening to Rush Limbaugh. And he was this Kennedy liberal. And within a couple of years, he's just like this bilious powder of hate. Someone she doesn't even recognize. And, you know, he discovers Fox News. And the most remarkable thing about the movie is she explains what happens when she put up her Kickstarter campaign and said, I'm writing this movie. It's about my dad and how you know he started watching Fox News and he became this creature I didn't even recognize. And literally a thousand people came out of the woodwork and told her these stories about the same thing happening to their families. So, you know, this is kind of a novel about that. Right. Right. But, you know, it was written. 25, 15 years ago, right? No one is kind of doing this kind of thing anymore. As, you know, this is happening all around us. I get letters. I get emails from people saying, you know, what can I do? I got an absolutely astonishing email from a woman from a small town in Arkansas saying, you know, she can't go to church anymore because all they do is talk about Trump. 
they worship Trump, right? right? Her neighbors all, you know, show off their 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 automatic AR-15 weapons to her. And she's terrified. She's terrified that her relatives are going to lose their government jobs because they're Democrats. You know, she's terrified that, you know, they're going to start, you know, um, uh, well, she uses the word lynching, you know, gays, right. lesbians. And um, that's what it's like in the belly of the beast in these areas of the country in which this kind of demagoguery is taking taking root. So that was what that piece is about. I, you know, write about whatever strikes my fantasy. The next one is going to be about Israel okay. <laughs> and my own history and uh, growing up in a home where um, my dad kind of worshipped Israeli military might and kind of displayed Israeli um, tanks and warplanes models in the house. And um, so you never know what you're going to get from me. Well, I would love to have that conversation with you when that piece comes out, because uh, I often talk about, uh, you know, all the conversations that people are having and the the emotions that's stirring up. And, the you know, the, yeah. I, I think uh, is it um, I, you know it's a much longer conversation, but I always feel over my skis because I don't know enough about. Well, I, I talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's like I don't know a lot about Israel, but I do do know about countries that kind of repress the ugly parts of their past, and that's what I write about. Uh, about you know some of the founders of Israel had, had some really nasty ideas. Uh, so you know we'll just have to you know dot 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 bracket that off, and it's going to come out my, Wednesday morning. Oh really? Oh, well, let's talk about it when you yeah when you and if you're back in town, I would love. I would love to have you in studio if uh, your schedule yeah, allows. Please. And uh, yeah, it's there's so many things to talk about because I know that you just was it today or over the weekend. Uh, Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib told Democrats not to vote for Biden, but that's in the primary. It's just this. Ooh, wow! Is, did you see that? You, didn't, yeah. you hadn't heard that part. I did not, but I know there's a lot of talk about that. And you know, it's that 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 gets to one of my obsessions about the Democratic Party, which is that basically when you have a party that's run by 80-year-olds, they don't have a finger on the pulse of what young people are thinking. And for a lot of young people, that what's going on in Israel and Palestine and Biden supporting it just doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. that's, um, wow, that's a hot subject. Yeah, uh, well, I look forward to that piece. And I, before we go, I just also want to say, it, when you talk about uh, art and where is the, the commentary, because I also think of Frank Capra, although I, he wasn't necessarily a liberal, but the movies that he did were so much about, like, you know, whether it was Meet John Doe or uh, mm-hmm. obviously It's a Wonderful Life. You know, I remember when yeah. uh, when Obama, I was in Lima, Ohio, and, and uh, people, you know, when Obama was in office and they were talking about, like, you know, why do we got to pay for this and that? And I said, have you seen yeah. It's a Wonderful Life? Remember that scene, right. you know, when the, there's a run on the banks and everyone wants their yeah. money? And he's like, I don't have your money here. It's in it's in Joe's farm and, and the business down the street, Martini's bar, right. you know. And I'm like, that's, that was such a commentary on, on yeah. how we're in, how to, you know, fight back against the big powers that want to own our lives, you know. Exactly. Yes. You know, there's a, the, one of the, my political heroes is uh, the former late political prime minister of Sweden, uh, Olaf Palm, and he says politics is teaching, right? And we always have to be teaching people that you know um, we're all in this together, right? Yeah. And you know, we're only as strong as the weakest link in the chain, and basically that's what the plutocrats are trying to make us forget. Right. And we're going to wake up one morning and there's going to be, you know, like I say, the people who have a modicum of privilege feel like they're safe. But, you know, as uh, Pastor Niemöller once said, they came for the socialists first and I didn't say anything and I was a socialist. Soon, you know, they're going to be coming for all of us. And that's why, you know, this is just if 
you feel bored, if you feel alienated, if you feel like the Democratic Party, you know, isn't quite what you want. Well, guess what? The Democratic Party is the boat and all else is the sea. Yeah. Thank we'll you. work on improving the Democratic Party in 2025. First, we got to defeat this guy. That's what I keep saying. I've lived to fight another day. That's, you know, um, okay. That's... Well, this is a long, long game, right? Yeah. And they've, yeah, they've been playing the long game. It's time for us to, to shake off all the fears, anxieties, or I don't want us and just roll up our sleeves and get to work. Thank you so much, Rick. Again, go to, uh, go to prospect.org and uh, sign up and make sure you're getting the, the uh, work that Rick does there, Rick Perlstein. Uh, also, all the great books he's written. And uh, we look forward to talking to you uh, very soon, my friend. Enjoy uh, your time in the, in the wilderness. I don't know if it's yeah. It's nice. It's nice weather. You go for hiking. Go for a few hikes. Uh, My kayak. Oh, there you go. Oh, nice. Yeah, go kayaking. Enjoy. Thanks for your time, Rick. Have a great night. Take care. Let's uh, take a break here. The phone lines are open if you want to call or text 773-763-9278. Again, that number, 773-763-9278. We will be right back after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. My friend Marty, he wants to split the party. He wants blue folks in red states to vote green. Can see his point, though I really gotta say, no, we can't have another 2016. It seems nothing beats orange, nothing even freaking rhymes with it. What's a battered nation supposed to do? His Royal Orange Highness, he does love to divide us. We've gotta stick together and vote blue. When I recycle, I'm green, green as green can be. I do my level best, yes, it's true. But when I'm voting in November, I promise to remember it's us against him. Gotta vote blue. Don't think I'm a hater. I love Ralph Nader. I don't blame him for the mess in Y2K. With those who represent us, I'm playing the percentages. Voting blue down the ticket all the way. When I recycle, I'm green, green as green can be. And I drive a freaking Prius, yes, it's true. And it's blue. But when I'm voting this election, the best eco-protection is to kick the orange out. Gotta vote blue. The greens throw all this crazy math at me. But I'm tired of the whole world having a good laugh at me. (laughs) When I recycle, I'm green, green as green can be. And in the primary, I voted for Bernie, too. Twice. But we need some peace and harmony, so I'm voting for our nominee. And if you need to hold your nose, just do. That's cool, I'll even hold your nose for you. Just vote blue, 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 gotta vote blue. That's Steve Goody, and you can catch Steve Goody, Brad, Lee, Tassel, and me, along with some other comedians tonight. You don't have to go anywhere. There's no tickets to buy right from your phone. You could be, if you want to catch some of the show, we have Virtual Comedy Show tonight, 9 p.m. Central. That's the Virtual Comedy Show, and uh, we, there's no cost, so we would love to have you join us. I do a little uh, mini melt, uh, and I'm sure, I don't know if it's going to be about the gold, uh, the gold gym shoes or, ooh, uh, maybe Fannie Willis. Man, I learned a lot about her and her dad, and uh, what a fascinating couple of days. And and I, it, I, 
you know, we've had comedian Paul Farvar fill in for me. And uh, if you follow him on social media, you can also uh, check in on his take uh, of what he thinks the decision will be in regards to whether or not uh, Fonnie Willis broke any uh, laws or there was any bias or whatever, whatever the the allegations are. That uh, basically he says that, that lawyers uh, interact physically with a lot of people when they're working on cases. That's his take. Seven seven three seven six three. That's the number to call and join our conversation. You can call or text 773-763-9278. And I know some folks were on hold earlier, and maybe if you didn't want to hang on, but you want to call now, now's a good time to call. Brian is calling from Juliet. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind, my friend? Good evening. Good evening. Uh, The reason I'm uh, phoning, uh, you had a... uh a uh, gentleman on earlier, I didn't catch all of it, but he was criticizing Reagan, and I just wanted to weigh in on that. Uh, you know, uh, Reagan, uh, he and his family were saved by uh, Franklin Roosevelt's uh, New Deal, and uh, then uh, he turned around and essentially became a libertarian and uh, gave us trickle-down economics, sadly still with us today, where the money never trickled down, it trickled up, and he supported apartheid or slavery in South Africa. Uh, he uh, also, uh, uh, in addition to that, uh, he was against the ERA. He uh, uh, funded uh, fascists in El Salvador and the Contras, and he got away with that. And uh, and uh, how many lives he took in uh, Nicaragua uh, is anyone's guess. Uh, terrible, terrible, terrible man. Yeah, I they, I have to agree on so many levels. Uh, and, and, you know, part of his administration in uh, arming and supporting the rebels in Afghanistan helped build al-Qaeda. You, you know, I mean, like uh, the long-term effects of what he did uh, in so many ways, you know, supporting uh, apartheid in South Africa, remember? Uh, his reaction to AIDS, the AIDS crisis, just terrible. I, I, I don't understand the fascination with him, and I guess it, it comes under the same sort of umbrella as being fascinated by Trump, don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, trickle-down economics. I agree, trickle-down economics still with us. And, yep. uh that has to be reversed, I pray. And uh, uh, didn't they name an airport after Reagan? Yeah, there's one in California, the Reagan. Hey, well, then they ought to name one after you rather than him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it, Brian. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for your time, yep, Patty. I agree with you. Take care, Brian. Have a good evening. Uh, good, to, good to hear from me. Thank you. Uh, I yeah, I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a my dad was my dad was such a big fan of Reagan's, and it was all just the gloss. Um, you know, I think about what you know. If I reflect on the kind of conversations that my parents had growing up, uh, my mother has been uh, a Democrat uh, my entire life, and I think uh, for you know she grew up in Mexico. And uh, and my dad was he started out as a Democrat. Uh, he used to tell a story about how he voted for Adlai Stevenson. He was a big fan, and after Adlai Stevenson lost, he was disillusioned by politics, and he hated Kennedy. And uh, I we never I can't remember talking much with him about Nixon, but uh, and, I, and my dad seemed to have favorable things to say about Roosevelt. My dad was a child when Roosevelt was in office. My father was born in 1933, uh, so he had memories of uh, of growing up during the Depression and World War II. And and I never heard him say anything um, terrible about any of those presidents. But man, oh man, did he love 
Reagan. He just did. And I, and I don't also, and then the same thing, I don't really remember him being that overly negative about Clinton. Um, my dad did have uh, issues that uh, he was he was conservative, I would say, in regards to uh, abortion. He did not uh, believe that uh, women should have access to abortion. And as I say that, I was just uh, over the weekend reading about this case in Alabama, and I know it's been discussed um, throughout the day in different ways, but the Supreme Court of Alabama has decided, has ruled that uh, if a an embryo, you know, when people go for in vitro fertilization and, um, you know, if you're not able to get pregnant, um, they ha- there was a clinic where some embryos were destroyed and there were two families that were uh, bringing this case and they wanted to be able to um, file for uh, murder. And the Supreme Court of Alabama has decided that uh, abortion, I mean, that um, uh, that the embryos uh, are considered life, which is, that is, uh, that's going to be interesting to see that go. It has got to go to the Supreme Court. So Alabama has, has ruled that uh, IVF frozen embryos are people. That the destruction of an embryo is the same as murdering a human being, and so that and, and I've talked about this before, and I, and uh, folks always push back when I say that uh, that if you are going to say that abortion is murder, and if the Republicans and the uber conservatives, the the evangelicals, the, the extreme right wing, get enough power, as they are in so many states, in states where they are legislating uh, whether or not a woman or a girl can cross state lines in order to get a medical procedure for whatever reason, uh, you know, if it's a, to save her life, to save the ability for, for her, her to be able to have a family in the future, uh, if she's a, the victim of uh, of rape or incest, they, they don't want them to cross state lines to even have that autonomy over their own bodies. Uh, there are states where they want to have, uh, in Oklahoma and Missouri, they want entire records of women who have had abortions. And in Missouri, they want to legislate that women would not have access to Medicaid if they have ever had an abortion. And when I posted about this, you know, we get folks who are like, oh my God, I can't believe that's happening. And every single time I post one of these stories, there's always a forced birther that jumps on my social media and is like, or maybe it's a deterrent. That's how the voices sound in my head, Paul. I don't know if that's how anybody else's voices sound when someone's being ignorant. But that the idea that... uh if I'm going to have an abortion, the thing that I am thinking about is my ability for whatever my emotional health, my physical health, my family, uh, you know, whatever reason I would be contemplating to have an abortion. The the, the idea that it's a deterrent, oh, am I going to have access to Medicaid sometime in my life is not going to be one of the, oh, I heard that Sarah couldn't get Medicaid because she had an abortion. The whole idea of the ruling in Roe v. Wade was that it was absolutely the privacy of a patient to have whatever access to health care that it was nobody's business now we are talking about going into those records and finding out any woman 
that has ever had an abortion. And if you can do that, and if you believe that murder is, that, uh, that abortion is murder, then you can also not only withhold access to health care as they're trying to do in, in different states and saying you can, that they will no longer be eligible for Medicaid, then you can also go back, if you've collected all the records of any woman who has ever had an abortion, and charge her with murder because murder does not have a statute of limitations. And people always argue with me that, well, it wasn't that abortion wasn't illegal then, but murder was. And if if it all falls under the idea that abortion is murder, then what are the safeguards to prevent them from going back and prosecuting any woman that has ever had an abortion for any reason? People think that's outrageous. And yet here we are, IVF embryos. People who have turned to science because they are desperate to have a baby, which I thought was what, you know, all the evangelicals and the forced birthers want. They want to be able to have that opportunity, that chance to create to, to create a life, which I for me, it, it, a, a, an embryo, a fetus is a part of the woman's body until it is able to breathe on its own and survive. Uh, and, and that, again, the number of abortions that even happen, you guys, after the first after the first 20 weeks is minuscule. And the, the lies that they have spread about when abortions happen and, and what they're doing are lies. There are there's just no getting around that. Uh, any a woman that has to have an abortion, a late term abortion, is because something catastrophic has happened. Whether it's the her ability to survive or the the fetus's ability to th- to survive and thrive to to survive at all. These are the, as Pete Buttigieg said when he was running that a woman who is in a family that has to make that decision so late in a pregnancy has probably already named that baby, has probably already decorated the nursery, has already imagined their life with that with that fetus, with that. And I can't even imagine being in that situation. I've had a, I've had a miscarriage early in my pregnancy, and in places like Ohio, they now want to charge women with abuse of a corp of a, of a corpse because. We don't even know that we're we are having a miscarriage in, in places like Ohio. They aren't even allowed to get care for a stillborn for no heart. They're not allowed to do a procedure that would protect that woman's life and her ability to have children in the future. And they want to they want to eliminate funding for Planned Parenthood. If it was not for Planned Parenthood, I would not have two beautiful boys because I had precancerous cells that I was able to get ahead of and they helped me treat and at a, at a price that was manageable for me. They, these forced birthers have no interest in protecting lives. They are only about controlling women. And maybe everybody, they've convinced themselves that it's something, that it's something else. But if you're telling a woman whose life is in danger that she cannot have a procedure that would save her life and protect her ability to have children in the future, if you have no desire to listen to any of that, then you fall into the category of just wanting to control women. That's that's it. Let's take a break here. Uh, I've been going on. More in a moment on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal and KTNF nine fifty AM. The phone lines are open seven seven three seven six three. If you want to give us a call, more in a moment. You want facts to matter? Want to hear some truth? Get your lazy ass down to the voting booth and vote. God damn it! Vote. God damn it! Want some justice on the Supreme Court? Lifetime appointments, they ain't short. Want women to control their own body. Want a real president, not John Gotti. 
That's Steve Goody. You can go to uh, stevegoody.com. That's G-O-O-D-I-E. And tonight he, along with Brad Lee Tassel. And uh, wait, let me see what the other, who the other comics are on the show. Because I am on the show. Every week I do what we call a patty melt. And I take a topic and just go on a rant about it. So it's virtualcomedyshow.com. That's tonight at 9 p.m. Central. We'll have uh, comedian Sean Shank. And uh, we also have another musical guest in addition to Steve Goody. That's uh, Jeff Pearson will be joining us. Again, it's free. It's our 197th episode of Virtual Comedy Show. I think I've done about 100 and, I don't know, say 160 of those because uh, it's low stress. I just kind of come in and uh, yell. And sometimes it's something that I'm excited about. I remember when I went to Los Angeles, I was very relaxed and uh, I had met a lot of uh, great people, even traveling uh, on the flight. Everyone was really nice and I was feeling very kumbaya. So it was one of the few rants where I was not enraged about something uh, but I'm sure tonight it'll be uh, probably abortion again. Just uh, the uh, embryos are people. Do they all have social security numbers? Um, can you also, if you're pregnant, and I mean, we've look, we've asked all these hypotheticals, or now it's not even hypothetical. But you know, can you do you register them for insurance? Do you get uh, you know, do you get you know? <laughs> even are they a tax write-off? Are they a tax credit? I know there was a woman in uh, for the child task tax credit. I know there was a woman in Texas who was pulled over for driving in the carpool lane, and she was in the car by herself. And she told the police officer because this was after Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision. Uh, she said, "I'm not by myself. I I'm pregnant." And I, you know, I never saw the resolution of that. And she didn't really even want to. You know, she was just you know basically trying to get out of the ticket. I don't even think she was necessarily. Uh, against the decision by Texas to prevent women from having the access to the full range of health care services. But let me see if I can find that. Texas pregnant woman carpool lane is all I is how I would put that in there, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I, if, if that is the case, I mean, all bets are off. I already know that uh, they're coming for um, for contraception. Um, they do not think that there should be any Im- Im- uh, obstacles to sperm reaching its destination. They only think, I guess, that sex is only intended for procreation. I, I had this argument in college with a friend of mine who was, uh, and this was in 1990, um, this guard, lifeguard I worked with, uh, we were on the deck of the pool and arguing about abortion. And uh, he was saying that the only reason to ever have sex was to procreate. And I was like, uh, tell me you, you're a virgin without telling me you're a virgin. Was all I, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't believe in, in women using uh, birth control. He didn't believe in using condoms. He was that uh, incessant about it. So I, uh, I just, I, you guys, this is, that's not living in reality. Uh, and it is such a strange way to think of, well, I mean, essentially, they, the, these are folks that believe that women are only a vessel for carrying fetuses for carrying their sperm. And, and, you know, again, I hate talking about hypotheticals, but if, if, if guys can just, uh, you know, toss their um, semen on a sock, I mean, that isn't that destroy, destroying a possible life? Just saying. I got really gross there at the end. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Paul, for making the show go smoothly. Mike Crute is up next with Devil's Advocate, followed by Matt McNeil. We'll be back here tomorrow. Have a lovely evening, everybody. See you at the Virtual Comedy Show.